Spotify now allows you to rate the podcasts that you love on the app itself. So if you enjoy listening to Stories After Dark, please give it a 5-star rating by going to the show's main page on Spotify and clicking on the rating or star icon below the podcast description. Thank you. In May 1999, the Philippines-United States Visiting Forces Agreement, or VFA, was ratified by the Philippine Senate, allowing the return of American troops to the Philippines after the U.S. naval base in Subic Bay was shut down years earlier, and laying down provisions for them when visiting the country. Six years later came the first case to be tried under the VFA, a landmark rape case that sparked controversy and resulted in calls for the abrogation of the agreement. You're listening to Stories After Dark, a Philippine true crime and mystery podcast powered by Anchor and released exclusively on Spotify with new episodes out every week. This is the story of the 2005 Subic rape case involving a 22-year-old woman known to the public as Nicole and American serviceman Daniel Smith. Listener discretion is advised due to the graphic nature of this story. Just after midnight on November 2, 2005, a disheveled-looking young woman was found crying in a dark, unlit area of Aleva Pier in Subic Bay, Freeport Zone. She was wearing jeans that were inside out, and a used condom was sticking out from her underwear. The young woman, who was given the name Nicole, claimed to have been gang-raped, and the perpetrators, she said, were four U.S. Marines she had met at a bar the night before. Nicole grew up in Zambanga City in the island of Mindanao, where her family owned and operated a canteen inside the military base of the Southern Command. Nicole graduated from the Ateneo University in Davao with a degree in management accounting, and in 2004 she took up nursing at the same university while helping to manage the family business. Their canteen was frequented by American soldiers who stayed at the military base whenever their vessels docked in the city. The soldiers were treated as family, with Nicole's mother, who was a civilian supervisor for the Philippine Navy for 25 years, occasionally cooking special meals for them. Because of their family business, Nicole and her stepsister, Annalisa, were able to befriend military personnel, including U.S. Navy Petty Officer Christopher Mills and Nicole's boyfriend, who was at the time based in Okinawa, Japan. Nicole was invited by Mills to Subic Bay in Zambales, and there she went with her stepsister after letting her serviceman boyfriend know about it. On the evening of November 1, a Tuesday, the two women had dinner with Mills at the Grand Leisure Hotel in Subic Bay, Freeport Zone. The three then went for drinks at a place called Neptune Bar on Betty Lane, where Nicole and Annalisa were introduced to other U.S. Marines. Mills later left the bar for 45 minutes, leaving Nicole and Annalisa partying and having drinks with the Marines. Nicole, however, disappeared at one point, and when Mills returned to the bar, he found Annalisa looking for her missing stepsister. When Nicole was found later, drunk and crying at a lava pier half a kilometer away from Neptune Bar, she said that she had been drinking with 21-year-old Lance Corporal Daniel Smith, after which she lost consciousness. She initially said she was gang-raped, but after a few days, she claimed to have just been raped by Smith just before midnight on November 1, inside a moving Hyundai Star X fan while three other servicemen watched and cheered him on. 
The three were Staff Sergeant Chad Carpentier, Lance Corporal Keith Silkwood, and Lance Corporal Dominic Duplantis who served together with Smith in the 31st U.S. Marine Expeditionary Unit aboard the USS Essex, an amphibious assault ship that arrived in Subic a month before for the Balikatan exercises that year. More than a week after the incident, on November 9, Nicole's mother appeared on the 24 Horas news program to beg for justice, even asking President Gloria Macapagal Arroyo for help. She also denied rumors that Nicole was a sex worker, stating that her daughter was on vacation in Subic with her stepsister Annalisa and their friend Christopher Mills. Authorities launched a preliminary investigation and found that there was some truth to Nicole's allegations of rape. Daniel Smith claimed that what happened between them was consensual, but several witnesses testified to the contrary. Gerald Muyot, a security guard from Neptune Bar, testified to seeing Smith carrying a drunk Nicole to the Starix van, and several other people said they saw the Marines dumping her at the pier. Timoteo Soriano Jr., the driver of the van owned by Starways Travel and Tours and rented by the Marines, accused six servicemen of raping Nicole inside the vehicle. The two additional accused Marines, however, were able to prove that they were buying pizza and were not in the van at the time of the incident. The remaining four denied the charges. Soriano, the driver, later withdrew his statement, saying police had forced him to sign the affidavit accusing the Marines. Press secretary and presidential spokesperson Ignacio Bunier, however, said that the case against the accused remained strong and that it was important that the Philippines insisted on its jurisdiction over the case. On December 27, charges against Smith, Silkwood, Duplantis, and Carpentier were filed at the Olongapo City Trial Court. Orders for their arrest were immediately issued, but these were denied by the U.S. Embassy in Manila, invoking the VFA which stated, quote, The custody of any U.S. personnel over whom the Philippines is to exercise jurisdiction shall immediately reside with U.S. military authorities if they so request from the commission of the offense until completion of all judicial proceedings, end quote. Despite this, formal requests were filed for the four men to appear in investigations and court proceedings regarding the rape case. It was eventually agreed upon that while they would remain in the custody of American military officials, they would be made available to local authorities whenever necessary. The case attracted a lot of media attention as it was the first instance since the VFA was enacted that visiting American servicemen were tried for a crime on local soil. As political groups and women's rights advocates took to the streets to protest the issue of U.S. versus Philippine custody over the accused, Philippine authorities were pressured to ensure a fair but speedy trial, as the VFA required local courts to complete any legal proceedings within a year. Nicole received overwhelming support from various human rights groups and anti-VFA legislators. She was initially represented by an all-female prosecution team led by Katrina Legarda and then eventually by Evelyn Ursua. In March 2006, just before the trial was due to start at the Olongapo Regional Trial Court Branch 73, Prosecutor Ursua filed a motion for Judge Renato Dilag to recuse himself from the case, citing the fact that his son was on Carpentier's defense counsel. This controversy resulted in the case being transferred to the Regional Trial Court of Makati City, where it was assigned to Judge Benjamin Pozon. On April 28, the accused appeared for the first time in court for their arraignment, with all four of them entering a not guilty plea, and almost two months later on June 2, their trial began. The defense argued that Nicole was actually a sex worker who had agreed to have sex with Lance Corporal Daniel Smith on the night of November 1, 2005, 
Nicole took the stand in early July, breaking down in tears several times as she told the court what happened to her that night. She repeated the story of her partying at the bar with U.S. Navy Petty Officer Christopher Mills and her stepsister Annalisa when Nicole was introduced to Smith who then had a few drinks with her. Though Nicole lost consciousness shortly afterward, she remembered trying to push Smith away when he kissed her on the lips and neck and held her breast while they were inside the van and the three other defendants were laughing in the background. The next thing she remembered was waking up on the pier. On the second day of Nicole's testimony, a commotion occurred in the courtroom when Nicole rushed at Smith and repeatedly hit him with her bag. When asked what had happened, she said that Smith had tried to trip her as she entered. So to prevent the two from further attacking each other, Judge Pozon changed the seating arrangement of the four suspects. Smith took the stand on September 11 and reiterated that the sex had been consensual, even going so far as to say that he was surprised at how readily Nicole seemed to agree to it. A few weeks later, in an interview with the media, Smith stated that he believed Nicole had faked being raped to get out of a problem, saying, quote, I think she got caught up in a situation where it's easier to lie about something, end quote. On December 4, 2006, more than a year after the incident, Carpentier, Silkwood, and Duplantis were all acquitted due to insufficient evidence. Smith, meanwhile, was found guilty beyond reasonable doubt of rape, and he was sentenced to reclusión perpetua, or a maximum of 40 years in prison, and ordered to pay Nicole a total of 100,000 pesos as compensatory in moral damages. Smith's conviction was based on Nicole being severely intoxicated on the night of the incident, which therefore deprived her of reason to consent to sex and rendered her incapable of sensing or avoiding danger. Though a test for blood alcohol content or BAC was never conducted on Nicole, a team of toxicologists led by Dr. Kenneth Hardigan-Goh pegged her BAC to be at an extreme level of between 400 to 445 milligrams per deciliter based on her being unconscious as reported by witnesses and Nicole's own recollection of the drinks she had consumed. While Nicole's supporters celebrated Smith's detention at the Makati City Jail as a victory for women's rights, Smith appealed his conviction and his lawyers submitted to the Court of Appeals a written agreement stating that Smith was to be held by the American military authorities until the resolution of his appeal. The agreement was signed by Chief State Prosecutor Jovencito Zuno and U.S. Ambassador Christy Kenny, and a letter from Justice Secretary Raul Gonzalez was also received by the court ordering local authorities to turn Smith over to the Americans according to an agreement between Gonzalez and Kenny. Both agreements, however, were rejected by Judge Pozon, who stated that the Makati Regional Trial Court was upholding the conviction and that Smith would remain in the Makati City Jail until the U.S. and Philippine governments come to an agreement as to where he would be detained. Smith's lawyers petitioned the Court of Appeals for a temporary restraining order on Pozon's directive, but this was rejected by the court, which had also earlier denied the U.S. Embassy's request to turn Smith over to them. On December 19, 2006, Foreign Affairs Secretary Alberto Romulo signed a written agreement with U.S. Ambassador Kenny stating that Smith would be returned to the custody of the U.S. Embassy in Manila. Three days later, on December 22, another agreement was drawn up between Romulo and Kenny specifying the details of Smith's transfer and subsequent detention. It stated that he would be held inside a room in the row building at the U.S. Embassy compound, guarded around the clock by American military personnel, although local authorities would be allowed access, provided that they are supervised by officials from the Department of Interior and local government. Seven days later, on December 29, arrangements were made for Smith to be transferred from the Makati City Jail to the U.S. Embassy. Many Filipinos, however, thought that American military authorities might be allowing him to leave the compound. 
Smith denied these allegations and his lawyers shared photos that showed him holding up a copy of that day's newspaper while inside his room. Nicole, meanwhile, spent the next few months fighting against the agreement to have Smith turned over to U.S. custody, stating in her petition that the transfer violated the Philippine Constitution as well as the rules of court. More than two years later, on February 11, 2009, the Supreme Court upheld the VFA's constitutionality, but agreed with Nicole in that Smith should be detained under the custody of local authorities and that his transfer to the U.S. Embassy violated the terms of the VFA. A month afterward, on March 17, 2009, came a shocking twist to the story. Nicole's mother submitted an affidavit from her daughter dated March 12, which was essentially a recantation of her rape accusations. According to Nicole's three-page affidavit, she had no opportunity to deny in court that she had kissed Smith on the night of the incident, and with her low alcohol tolerance and the large amount of alcohol she had consumed while having only eaten a slice of pizza for dinner, she may have become, quote, so intimate with Daniel Smith and did more than just dancing and talking with him like everyone else on the dance floor, end quote. She explained that she would not have agreed to talk and dance with Smith if she didn't enjoy his company or was at least attracted to him. The affidavit also said that if Smith really wanted to rape her, that he and his companions would not have carried her out of Neptune Bar in full view of the security guard and other people, and that they would have dumped her after in a more secluded and dimly lit area. Nicole also doubted how she could have remembered Smith making advances on her in the van if she was unconscious when she was found at the pier based on what witnesses told the court. As to why Nicole started the rape allegations in the first place, the affidavit explained that she was so confused as the people that had gathered around her at the pier assumed she had been raped based on her state, and her first thought after the incident was how her mother and boyfriend would react once they learned that she was last seen with Smith and that a used condom was seen on her pants. She was scared of losing not only her boyfriend but also the chance of living in the U.S. The affidavit also said that Nicole wanted to move on with her life and she had quit her job as a credit accountant to pursue her studies in the U.S. Nicole's affidavit was reportedly issued without her lawyer Ursua's knowledge, and immediately afterward, with a visa provided by the U.S. Embassy, Nicole flew to the U.S. for good to join her American fiancé of two years, whom she met during the trial. On March 24, 2009, Ursua, lawyer Harry Roque, anti-crime advocate Teresita Angsi, anti-rape law co-author Leticia Ramos Shahani, and various civil society groups called on the Supreme Court to look into the alleged anomalies surrounding Nicole's recantation. Ursua in particular, who was fired by Nicole as her lawyer a week earlier, thought that the language used in the statement was too articulate for Nicole. Ursua believed Malacanang Palace was involved in the retraction, while notable Philippine politicians such as Senator Loren Legarda believed that Nicole's silence had been bought by the U.S. It later came out that Nicole's affidavit had been notarized in the law offices of Sisip Salazar Hernandez and Gatmaitan, where the defense's lead lawyer Jose Hostiniano worked. Hostiniano himself filed the affidavit at the Court of Appeals, then gave Nicole a check for 2,000 US dollars or 100,000 pesos, which many saw as suspicious and ethically questionable. On April 23, 2009, the Court of Appeals acquitted Smith, disregarding Nicole's recantation and without opening a sealed draft decision written by retired Justice Agustin Dizon back in 2008. In a 71-page decision, Associate Justice Monina Arevalo Zanarosa, as concurred by Justice Remedios Fernando and Associate Justice Mirna Dimaranan Vidal, said that the evidence failed to prove that Smith had either forced, threatened, or intimidated Nicole into having sex with him. 
The following day, on April 24, the U.S. Embassy announced that Smith had left the Philippines under the authority of U.S. military officials. The appellate court's ruling was controversial and many were angered at how it rejected the regional trial court's conclusion that Nicole was too drunk to consent to sex. According to the decision, quote, after draining all those drinks of Sprite Vodka, B-52s, Singaporean Sling, B-53, and half a pitcher of Bullfrog, although feeling dizzy, she danced with Smith through all four songs for about 15 minutes. She did not drop on the floor, nor did she vomit, end quote. The Court of Appeals also rejected the regional trial court's finding of forcible entry as evidenced by contusions that Nicole apparently had in her genitals because, quote, even in consensual sex, contusions could be inflicted by finger grabs, as in Nicole's case, end quote. The decision also said that Nicole's resistance of Smith's romantic advances, quote, by words of mouth does not suffice to establish that she indeed did not give her consent to the sexual intercourse, end quote. Philippine Daily Inquirer columnist Rina Jimenez-David criticized the ruling which, quote, seemed more like the admonitions of scandalized maiden aunts to a wayward niece than a reasoned, objective, and compassionate appreciation of evidence. They needed only to settle one question. Was Nicole raped? Was she in possession of her faculties such that she could decide freely whether she wanted to have sex with Smith or not? Or was she so drunk that the Marine, taking advantage of her condition, had his way with her, end quote. After Nicole's recantation was issued, photos of her along with her real name Suzette as Nicolas were published by the Philippine Daily Inquirer, a widely read newspaper in the country. This was in violation of the country's laws prohibiting the identities of rape survivors to be made public to ensure their privacy and protect them from scrutiny. The Inquirer defended its decision, saying that its legal team and a former chief justice had allowed them to release Nicole's identity. Whether Nicole was really raped by Daniel Smith is still a mystery as of this recording, but for many Filipinos, if the rape actually happened, the resolution of the case was an indication that the Arroyo administration had prioritized diplomatic relations with the U.S. over justice for one Filipino citizen. There were even theories that the Philippine government had been determined to lose the case from the start. There were certain incidents during the trial that seemed to prove this, such as Prosecutor Ursua not being allowed to cross-examine Smith, with the task falling instead to an amateur lawyer who subsequently declined to make a rebuttal. The Visiting Forces Agreement, which Nicole's case challenged for its constitutionality, had a second Philippine court case in the 2014 murder of trans woman Jennifer Laude. President Rodrigo Duterte in February 2020 sent an official letter to the U.S. terminating the VFA, but he suspended the abrogation of the pact months later amid lingering tensions with China over the South China Sea dispute. On July 30, 2021, Duterte ordered the retraction of the agreement's termination, and the VFA as of this recording remains to be in effect. Thank you for listening to Stories After Dark, a Spotify exclusive powered by Anchor. This story was co-written by Kayla DeLeon and was narrated and produced by me, Derek. Music is by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com. Stay tuned next week for a new episode, and to make sure you're updated about the show, please follow Stories After Dark on your Spotify app as well as on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. If you'd like to see the references used for this episode, suggest cases, send personal stories, or further support the show, you can go to storiesafterdark.ph for more information. 
All of the links are in the episode description.